0: Welcome everyone to the SCORE Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone. appreciate you joining us today. It's a little gloomy over here, a little overcast. We're supposed to have our first snowfall later this week, apparently. And it's not that surprising, right? It's getting to that time of year. We've already seen a couple bad weather games on the NFL side. I know got a, a ton of questions about that last week, just how to approach the weather stuff and everything like that. I talked about it on the Friday live show. Uh, I gave you my thoughts, but I also said we were going to have the perfect guest on to talk more about it this week. And it was just a great coincidence because I had him lined up already. It wasn't like I had to go out and get him because of that. He was already set up to come on the show. So we're going to be joined by Chris Allen in a second here. We've had him on the show before. A great guy, super knowledgeable about all things NFL, but he's done some really interesting work on weather, on how it impacts player production and all that. So we'll talk to him about it. We'll touch on some other interesting items as we head into week 11 here. And then since fantasy trade deadlines are coming up this week and over the next couple weeks, I also want to give you a few players that we're looking to trade for before your deadline hits. I think that's something that is important to hit on this week. But first, I got to tell you about this new podcast that we launched today over at The Score. It's a new hockey show. It's called When Goalies Were Weird. It's a six-part podcast from our senior hockey writer John Maditz and every week he's going to be doing a, a deep dive on one of the memorable goalies from the 90s. So, Dominic Hassock and Patrick Wah and Eddie Belfour and it features countless interviews with former NHL stars and coaches and, and GMs. Really interesting to hear their stories and hear them joking around and stuff too. You can check out the trailer now. I recommend follow, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. You're going to really like that one. I've listened to a bit of it already and it's really, really good. So check that one out for sure. All right, let's get our guest in here. Like I said, off the top, it's Chris Allen. He's a contributor at Football Guys. Uh, He's done stuff for 4 for 4 and NBC Sports Edge. You can watch him. You can listen to him on the Audible podcast over at Football Guys with our buddy Sigmund Bloom and Gene Brammel and Matt Waldman and company over there. And Chris does the live Sunday morning show with Sig and Gene as well. So give him a follow on Twitter. You can keep up with all his stuff at Chris Allen, FFWX. We are glad to have him back. This is the perfect time of year to have him on. So Chris, welcome back to the show. How you been, dude? I've been doing all
1: right. I can't complain too much. I mean, the the season I, I've actually talked with Sig about this on, on Sunday was that this has been one of the first times I can remember this late into the season where I really don't have a a really clear idea or really clear picture as to who's good in the <laughs> NFL, which, which makes for a good story, though, right? Because especially after Monday night where we see the Rams just completely get run over, by the 49ers, we have no idea. I, I, assuming with their record they have the best shot at getting into the playoffs, but each of the teams that we thought were good going into this past week whether it be the Ravens getting shocked like by the Dolphins, I mean all these other teams that we have at least some idea of what Seattle getting shut out, it's just we had this this idea about which teams we would want to Uh, be one to root for we would want to invest some of our fantasy draft capital in and we're entering week 11 and i have no idea so i mean this is part of the fun of fantasy football it's part of the chaos that we get each year when we do this so i guess we can be happy that this is where we're at but at the same time i just wish i had a better idea but other than that i'm doing all right man i'm happy to join you again today
0: well, if it was just one week of, like, really strange upsets and everything, we would just shrug it off. Okay, no big deal. We had two weeks now. There's just been a ton of these weird results, and we're going to talk more about that a little later in the show, so we'll get there. I want to start off, though, with the weather stuff because I know a lot of people are curious about this. We had John before. I think we touched on it briefly, but let's give everybody the quick rundown here of just— what you're looking for when you're going over the weather reports in a given week. Like, are there any general rules that you're abiding by? Like when it comes to the bad weather games, 15 mile an hour winds, I know that's always a threshold people bring up, that sort of thing. What do you think fantasy managers should be looking for, just in terms of what's actually going to impact player performance?
1: So I think the one thing that folks should try and keep in mind is to not overreact. And I think that's generally what folks tend to do once they hear about 15-mile-per-hour winds or or greater, or even once folks start to talk about they're hearing about 35-mile-per-hour gusts or 40-mile-per-hour gusts or something like that. And just to uh, specify or to uh, focus in on gusts, those are just random things that can happen. It's not like they're sustained winds. So typically, I toss that information out almost immediately. But once we start getting into like those types of like high winds or even rain, or now that we're getting into November and, and December, snow is probably going to be in the forecast for a couple of games, like here in the near future. I'm sure. Actually, we just saw a little bit of snow in Pittsburgh this past week. I know that Green Bay had experienced some snow before their game against Seattle. So all of those things, all of those different elements and conditions that you can that you that we can experience as fantasy football watchers, is that. Try not to overreact unless we're talking about extreme conditions. Now, extreme condition would be the one like we saw back in week seven, where it was the San Francisco uh, Colts game on was it the Sunday night game? If I'm remembering yep. correctly, where we just see rain pouring throughout the entire ge- uh, the entire game. Yeah, it's like I a actually, monsoon kind of e- situation. Exactly. Yeah, like those are the extreme conditions, and that's where we should start to look at possibly playing like other options, and at the very least as fantasy managers, we should look at just the core plays. And by the core plays, I would mean the guys that we would be starting regardless of what the conditions would be. So for San Francisco, most likely it would have been Elijah Mitchell, probably Debo Samuel as well. And for the Colts, we're looking at Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman. I mean, those would be about about the most that we would probably want to invest in from that game anyway. And so now with the with the weather conditions being extreme as they were we shouldn't have been looking to any of the ancillary plays like if anybody was hoping to get anything out of zach pascal or let's say maybe on the on the flip side any of the, like the backup tight end since if i'm remembering correctly george kittle was still on ir i mean any of those plays i mean those would have been guys that we would just completely x out of our pool and maybe found other options and so that's that's where I try and at least advise most folks to not at least overreact because what are your other options, especially at that point on Sunday night after all the games have played? And so realistically thinking about it from a season-long perspective, are you able to recapture or recreate that same level of opportunity on the waiver wire or do you have that same level of opportunity on your bench? Most folks don't. How are you going to recreate or how are you going to reproduce 20 some odd touches from Elijah Mitchell or 20 some odd touches from Jonathan Taylor? You typically don't have those options. Now, from a DFS perspective, I can understand you have the entire player pool in order to switch out and move things around. So when I that's where. I try and say that we shouldn't overreact. Try and look at what your other options are. And until we really get into the extreme conditions, we typically we typically should just hold pat because it's really about the opportunity or a team's intent, which typically doesn't change until we get into the extreme conditions like 25, 30 mile per hour winds or what we like what we saw back in week seven.
0: Yeah, I like what you said there about like those flex play types, just definitely avoiding them in any bad situations weather-wise, and kickers is another one. I feel like people are slow sometimes to react when it comes to kickers because they see that name and a guy that's put up you know double-digit fantasy points for however many weeks in a row, and then they're not taking into account that really bad weather or, you know, rain or something like that could impact it at all, so I tend to bump those guys down, I think, more than some other analysts do sometimes in those situations. I just don't want to get involved in that whatsoever, and it's the exact same thing you're saying, like with the the flex plays. And I also think it's important, you're talking about a little bit there, like when we're looking at if there is going to be any sort of precipitation, making sure that it's going to be happening during the game, right? Because very often, and we saw this and whether you want to say maybe the cold weather was an issue in that Green Bay Seattle game, but people were freaking out about the snow that morning and the whole field is covered in snow. But all you had to do was look at the weather report to see that all of the snow was going to be done before kickoff and they're going to have that field cleared. And then Green Bay is one of those places where they even have like the the hot pipes, I believe, under the, the stadium to try uh-huh. to keep the field. Right. I believe that's true. So, uh, yeah, like you got to look at it like that and take into consideration is it only going to rain for a quarter of the game. Is the rain going to happen after the game, before the game, all that sort of stuff. I think that's important, too. And I think it feeds into exactly what you're saying, which is sometimes people can overreact too much. So. That's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on because you look at exactly the things that you should be taking into consideration and exactly how to approach it as opposed to just overreacting when someone puts out a picture of snow on a field on Sunday morning and now you're pulling all your guys out of the lineup for no apparent reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the, that's exactly what happened on Sunday was that once everybody saw that there was snow down on the field in Lambeau, and there was also possibly going to be some snow or at the very least a wintry mix involved in the Steelers game, people were talking about like, oh, well, we can't play Najee Harris, uh, Deontay Johnson. We got to pull him out. Uh, Maybe we should look at, I don't know what we're going to do about like Russ in the passing game. It's like, well, first of all, with Mason Rudolph starting, were we really all that confident in the Steelers offense? to begin with i know the <laughs> i know the the game total only moved by what was like a point and a half or something like yeah. that like once like ben got put on the COVID list which is hilarious in and of itself but really what were what was the team's intent what was the team's uh, approach going to be for this game regardless and i think that's what i try and look at like overall like one of the the metrics that i typically look at like for to measure team intent would be things like plays run neutral passing rate red zone passing rate deep ball rate as well So that you can at least get an idea of, well, what's the quarterback trying to do? And so if you can compare that to what their baseline statistics are, so just in a normal type of game environment, you can typically see where, for the most part, weather isn't a massive impact on those games. Because if you go back to, I think, when was it? Like week eight, I believe there was a discussion about the winds in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game were around like 18 to 20 miles per hour. And so the similar conversation was being brought up. Uh, Baker with the busted uh, busted non-throwing shoulder. I mean, Ben can't throw in high winds, so let's go ahead and pull everybody out. Let's go ahead and look at let's look at other options for that game. Well, for the most part, it's an AFC North battle anyway. I live in Ohio, so you know that one of those but most of those games are probably going to be slow-paced or low-scoring anyway. But if you look at team intent again, the amount of plays run. For both pittsburgh and cleveland about the same like within three to four plays like for both of them neutral passing rate cleveland actually had a higher neutral passing rate like in that game as compared to the other games same thing for like the, their yards per drive and also the red zone passing rate all within their typical baseline but now if you go back to that week seven game like what we just talked about with san francisco and indianapolis almost every single one of their team metrics or team intent metrics are down I mean, San Francisco ran like a 10.8 less plays than they typically do in their games. I mean, neutral passing rates for both teams were down by almost 14 to 15 to 20 percent. So it's just. You can see, as you watch the game, regardless of what the box score looks like, how weather can impact some of those games. And once we get into those extreme conditions, again, that's where I start to make other plans. But otherwise, like if we're only talking about 15 to 20 miles per hour, if we're only talking about a little bit of rain or maybe a little bit of precipitation, like what we saw this past week, it's easier for us to think about what the core plays for that game are going to be
0: outside of the weather. And then after that, make our decisions accordingly. When I mentioned Lambeau Field, I'm curious, if you're looking at specific stadiums, because I know you've done some research on this stuff, are there any stadiums that stand out that could be, you know, there's a bigger issue with wind or maybe wind isn't as big of an issue there? Are there any stadiums that people could look at of the, the 32 that are out there? that stand out to you as either particularly bad or particularly good in specific conditions?
1: Uh, So for the wind in of itself, like one thing that I look at because part of my, my, my day job is that I have looked at, uh, I have looked at wind, but more from an aerodynamic perspective because I do work uh, for, I do, uh, I do some work for the air force. Uh, So I have looked at like from a structural standpoint, how the stadium design can impact a a particular game. And so that's where I've actually looked at, all right, well, if the field is this tall or if it's also oriented in a particular direction, because that's the other thing that we have to consider with wind is not just the speed, but also its direction, because if it winds up creating some sort of crosswind, that would be that would give it the highest chance for it to impact any particular pass, not just the fact that it's blowing at 20 miles per hour, 25 miles per hour, what have you. But the one, uh, two stadiums that actually do stick out uh, in terms of if there are going to be high winds, that's where I start to get somewhat concerned. Uh, the Bill Stadium, so Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York, uh, that actually has a, a height of a, just 110 feet. And while again, 110 feet like sounds tall to us, at the very least, it's it's very, it's short compared to a lot of the other stadiums that we've looked at, like Baltimore Stadium, like m and Bank Stadium, 185 feet. Cleveland Stadium, uh, like what is it, like high energy field or like first energy field, if I remember correctly, 171 feet. So, I mean, you can you've actually get all the way up to Kansas City. Like they have one of the taller stadiums, but that's mostly because the the stands on either side go up to about 260 feet. That's probably where Jordan Love's mother was stuck at like during their, their game a couple of <laughs> weeks back. But it's like – 110 feet, that's where you can start to see as compared to some of the other stadiums. Once you get into 20 miles an hour or something like that, that's where the structure itself doesn't provide as much of a natural barrier as it would to the others. But that's really where, but that's more getting into the nuance. It's getting into the weeds, like where you would compare a 20 mile per hour wind at the Bill Stadium to a 20 mile per hour wind at Cleveland Stadium Baltimore Stadium or any one of the taller stadiums. But again, we're getting into the weeds and like smaller sample sizes. So those are the two stadiums I would say that if you are looking at a high wind game, those and it was also at either one of those two, I might have a little bit more concern. But for rain... It's actually a bit different because now you're talking about field conditions. Any field that typically has any like grass or sod as part of their a part of their playing surface, while that has been one of the preferred surfaces for players, they have talked about like being like slipping more often or having injuries on turf. There are fields that have like just that use grass and sod, but that can accumulate water and that can create puddles and that can create some of those chaotic events that we've seen in some of the games like fumbles or just, like, drop passes or whatever, especially in that Week 7 game two years ago with Washington. I believe it was Washington in the 49ers where we saw, like, George Kittle sliding across the ground and they were having to, like, you know, go through puddles and whatnot. Like, that was a similar type of condition where we have an extreme situation. We have the field that doesn't drain, winds up holding in all that water, and then you wind up seeing what we saw, which was fun to watch, but from a fantasy (laughs) perspective, there there were no points. There were barely any points scored. So... I think those are the few stadiums that would have, like, the most concern, but like you mentioned earlier, stadiums like Lambeau Field that has, like, the heated pipes that run underneath it that allow them to at least, you know, get rid of any of the accumulation, also have, like, drainage underneath them, like, those are the types of things that I try and look for so that on top of just my natural inclination to not really pay or at least have too much concern over those games, Stadium design can also help us like ease my mind and also hopefully ease some of the uh some of the minds of the readers when they take a look at my weather report.
0: So that is all for the weather portion of today's show. Now that we only have like meteorologists and architects listening at this point. Now that we, <laughs> I think it was good stuff though. I think it was it was very yeah. important to to go through and I'm glad that we did it and I'm glad that you laid it out the way you did because I have a ton of respect for people who are very professional and very good at their jobs. You, sir, are definitely that. So I hope that that'll help everybody react appropriately, not overreact too much in the mornings, not freak out with all the questions and everything. Absolutely still hit us up with the questions. If you got weather stuff, I recommend going to Chris and not me, but I'll still help you out if I can now that we got all the information from him today. But I think that was the main goal is just to, to try to help people maybe take some stress off their plate on Sunday morning when they see some of those images come out and they hear some people talking about weather, not to, to overreact too much to it, but to know exactly how to respond and exactly how to set your lineups. Another goal that we have here, and you kind of talked about it before we started with the weather stuff, is just trying to figure out what the heck's happening in the NFL going into week 11. And I don't know if I can remember a more puzzling couple weeks than the last two here, but we've talked about it on the show a lot already just all the upsets. I mean, we mentioned it earlier too. Good teams getting dominated by really bottom of the barrel clubs, just really weird stuff. How are you reacting to all these strange results? I mean, is it just like it's a sign of parity, I guess, still being prominent in the NFL? Is it? Is it just like a really strange stretch where I said if it was one week, it'd be such a small sample size we wouldn't be worried about it? Two weeks is still a very small sample size. Is it just a case that we're going to look back a month from now and just go, "Man, remember those really strange couple of weeks we had in the middle of the season?" Or is there something more we could take away from this?
1: I would say that it's more about just parity and just we're we're looking at just the the variance over even smaller samples of a smaller sample. Like we're through we're through 10 weeks and so seeing some of these teams start to evolve, they're figuring themselves out, they're figuring out their opponents as well as we get more game film, as they get more game film on each of their opponents. I'm assuming it's it's a lot of that because I think one of the examples that I, that I think about and it, it almost kind of, kind of kind of keeps me up at night is I am a Cincinnati fan like I, I live in Dayton Ohio so and I, I went to school in Cincinnati I went to college there and so I, I've been a Bengals fan for better or worse for the last like 20 years and seeing their run from weeks three to seven I mean we see them essentially they played Aaron Rodgers straight up like when they played when they uh, went to Green Bay but they they had a good run. But when the wheels started to fall off for the past couple of weeks, especially against uh, that loss to the Jets, it, it, like, you look back in hindsight and you can kind of see, like, where things were going wrong, like, for that particular team. I mean, Joe Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase, I mean, heck of a connection, but that accounted for almost, like, 41% of their production, like, over that time frame. I mean, they've got a good haymaker, but they need a good jab, right? Like, they need to be able to yeah. create or extend more drives with Tyler Boyd or maybe have a shorter passes to CJ Uzuma. I mean, they need more stuff like that. And so, thinking about it like in reverse and looking backward, even with the Chiefs, right? I mean, they, they have a good haymaker with Tyreek Hill. They've been hitting doubles like with those, like, uh, those, what, 10, 15 yard routes to Travis Kelsey. But it's just they need that, they need to be able to hit singles. And that's where we started to see more usage with the running backs. So it's just like looking back on it we can see why some of these teams have struggled over the past few weeks and how things can work better for them moving forward. But it's just until we get to that point, until we see the results, until we see what's actually happened over the past few weeks and like start to think about, all right, and we've re- kind of reverse engineer what's happened, I think that's where my my reaction has been, all right, well, we'll just let the rest of the season play out I'm sure once we get to week 16, week 17, we'll look back at look back at it with the Chiefs, you know, still sitting on top and ready to make another deep playoff run. Just like, oh, yeah, that was kind of a weird, you know, a weird month. You know, Tennessee probably going to make it to the playoffs despite losing Derrick Henry because they have a good quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. It's just like, oh, yeah, they were able to figure it out. So it's just I think for the most part, it just comes down to we're 10 weeks into the season, one of the longest season of the NFL, uh, of the NFL ever and it's just we're, we're trying to
0: focus on smaller pieces of an already short season. Yeah. And I agree with you. It is tough when you're kind of in the weeds to try to to notice what's going on. And then we look back after the season. It's a lot easier in hindsight to kind of figure it all out and, and parse it all out. But if we were going to stick on that topic for a second here, and if I was going to force you to pick an upset in week 11, and I mean, based on what we've seen lately, I should probably make you pick like three or four upsets, I guess, from this week if we we're going <laughs> to see it continue. But if I just asked you for one here, which underdog would you go with this week? And I could I could let you know some of them. I mean, Falcons against the Patriots, Jags 49ers, Lions, Browns, Bears, Ravens, Texans, Titans, Giants, Bucks. There's a lot of underdogs this week that are, you know, close to a touchdown or more than a touchdown underdogs in those games. Who would you pick? I mean, we could even throw now with Joe Flacco starting for the Jets. We could even throw Jets versus Dolphins the way the Dolphins have played the last couple weeks here. Maybe that would even be considered a pretty big upset at this point.
1: It would. I don't know if it's like would necessarily be considered an upset considering, I mean, it's it's a fairly close game as of not right now. Not quite on the same level, yeah. Yeah, not quite on the same level. But I'm looking at this Minnesota Green Bay game, and I'm assuming that most of the narratives going into that game is that, well, with Aaron Rodgers being back, I mean, how are you supposed to stop Green Bay? I mean, they the defense, like shut out Russell Wilson this past week, even though Aaron Rodgers didn't play a typical Aaron Rodgers game, but he did enough. though with their two and a half point favorites, like I think the last I looked at that line, but I don't know, man, I'm I'm, I'm kind of feeling like there's a, there's a chance that this can wind up one going over its total, but two also with uh, Kirk Cousins wind up being, uh, and you know, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, like being the ones that wind up taking this one down. And if you look at it over the past, over the, on the season right now, I mean, Kirk Cousins has at the very least been efficient he's 14th in epa per dropback. i mean the vikings they're 12th in offensive dvoa i mean he hasn't thrown i mean for you know, to his credit he hasn't thrown a uh, thrown an interception in the past like four games like so while green bay they've been seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks i mean they i don't think they've allowed a 300 yard passer yet this season but they what they just lost for sean gary uh what whitney merciless this past week so their pass rush should be down I mean, outside of, I mean, without really having much in the secondary to really hold them down as well. I could see the Vikings going in there, the, putting up at least a decent, a decent performance. I mean, the what last two times that they faced him. So that was like twice. So I mean, both times last season, uh, minnesota wound up going over their projected team total so i think it's definitely possible they can wind up like taking that one over and kind of essentially playing spoiler to green bay like continuing like their march like towards the playoffs so i, I kind of like that game for right now
0: one of the the frustrating things though about all the upsets and i know betting wise that's a whole nother story here we're focused more on just the fantasy aspect but it really just creating some frustrating fantasy revo- results for people. And it depends how your roster was positioned. Maybe you took advantage of it, but I feel like the last couple of weeks, not just my teams, but all the teams in the leagues that I'm in for the most part, I want to say like 80, 90% of the teams are putting up pretty low scores compared to what you normally see fantasy wise in those leagues. And, you know, I don't really care how dominant a team looks at, at this point in the season. I think right now, we need to look forward about how we can set up our teams for the second half how we can get ready for the fantasy playoffs i'm in one league where a friend just keeps talking up this this one juggernaut squad that we have and that he's guaranteed to win the title and i never think that's the case i've been on both sides of that i've been the team that the underdog in the playoffs that knocks off the team that everybody thought was going to win it i've been the team many times that has that roster that you think is bulletproof and there's no way you can be stopped and then you end up getting injuries or you just have one bad week and you get knocked out of the fantasy playoffs. There's just so much that can change. I mean, over the weekend, on one really good squad that I have, I lost Aaron Jones, Cordero Patterson, and Robert Woods over the course of a day or two there. So Mm -hmm. now I'm trying to reassess, and I went from being what I think was a pretty clear favorite in that one To now, I'm trying to figure out if, you know, how I'm going to get this done. Am I going to have to make some trades or what I'm going to do? And it really, like I said, it just takes one bad week to change everything, whether it's injuries that hit you, whether it's bad fantasy scores, whatever. So I don't think people should get discouraged. I think if you're listening right now, I think if you're an underdog fantasy wise, I think now is the time that you got to make these trades because I put out a poll uh, last week just asking when everybody's trade deadline was to try to figure out when's the main trade week. And it was really mixed. It was across week 11, week 12, week 13. It was pretty evenly split. Regardless of when the the trade deadline is in your leagues, Chris, I want to know, give me a name that you think is a good trade target this week.
1: Uh, For me, one of the guys that I'm aggressively trying to pick up if I possibly can uh, is Marquise Brown. I mean, a wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. And for as much talent as he has for as much production as he's put up so far i believe he's the wide receiver six in ppr i mean through 10 weeks he doesn't always have like that same uh he doesn't have like it, it's he's not a sexy name he doesn't have that same appeal as any of the other typical wide receiver ones in the league well essentially because he hasn't been a wide receiver one exactly. like historically so it's like unless you look at where he sits on like in those rankings, like you're not really going to know, like you wouldn't really think about him as a top 12 wide receiver. And yet lo and behold, like that's where he's at as of right now. But I mean, he has all the prerequisites that we would think of for a, for a top alpha like type wide receiver. I mean, 27.3 target share, I mean, 35.6% air yard share. That's, that's comparable to guys like Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs, like on the, each of their respective teams. I mean, second on the team in red zone targets. Now this is on a team that historically has been at the back end of the league in terms of pass rate over expectation, neutral passing rate. But now Baltimore, I mean, Lamar Jackson has completely flipped the script. I mean, they're 15th in pass rate over expectation. And now looking at their schedule going ahead, they've got Chicago this week. They still got their two matchup ex- matchups against Cleveland. And we just saw what Mac Jones did to the Cleveland defense just this past Sunday. They've got a uh, game against Pittsburgh. They also got their Cincinnati matchup again uh, towards the back end, like once we get into the fantasy playoffs. So with as much as Lamar is relying on him, and as great it's great to see both Sammy Watkins relatively healthy if he's not fumbling the football, but also Rashad <laughs> Bateman coming along as well. I mean... It's just that passing offense has been both productive and at least efficient enough that I think Marquise Brown like should be the guy that we should continue to one roster, but also if you can trade for.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great call. And I'll tell you, a few weeks back prior to the Chase Edmonds injury, a trade went down in one of my leagues where Marquise Brown got traded for uh, James Conner, who at the time was you know, essentially the the backup or the one B and really just touchdown dependent. He wasn't putting up the kind of numbers that he's put up since the the injury happened. And at the time, you look at that trade, and and I knew how valuable Marquise Brown was, and and we gave that manager a little bit of a hard time saying, you know, you gave him up too cheap just for a backup, and what if the touchdowns go away? And then a week or two later, the injury happens, and it ends up looking like a pretty even deal, obviously, Connor. Connor's been pretty good since then. So, you know, that's why there should never be vetoes. We've talked about that a million times on the show, but there Mm -hmm. should never be vetoes. Not that we were going to veto that trade by any means. We don't have vetoes in that league, but... That's why you don't do it because you never know what's going to happen. And a few weeks after the deal goes down, everything looks different and the trade looks a little more even. But yeah, I'm totally with you on the, the Hollywood Brown one. I'll throw David Montgomery. He's coming off nice. the buy. He should be back up to 100%. Now he managed to come back in that first game before the buy. We weren't even sure if he was going to be activated for that one. You even thought maybe because of the buy, they would sit him out and make sure he was completely healthy, but they bring him back and then you go, okay, he's coming back. It's the first game back. Khalil uh, Herbert has played really well. They're definitely going to have some sort of split going there, right? There's no way they're just going to put Montgomery out there and give him all the work. Well, that's exactly what happened. He gets activated, plays over 85% of the snaps, and it was a tougher matchup against the Steelers. So you got to factor that in when we're looking at the final results stat-wise. But plays 85% of the snaps, ran 27 routes in that game, just two routes for Herbert. Finished with 15 touches to Herbert's four. And the stat line won't blow anybody away, but he had 80 yards from scrimmage, had two catches in the game, and it came against the Steelers when I think you look at that and you go, okay, against a lot of other teams, I think the numbers would have been much better there for a running back. So he gets the Ravens this week, gets the Lions next week, though. That's really nice. And then in the fantasy playoffs, the Vikings, the Seahawks, and the Giants, all three of those teams are in the top half of the league in fantasy points allowed to running back. So... Montgomery is someone that is really intriguing to me. I mean, you can feel free to comment on him, Chris, or if you want to just move on to the, the next trade target for you, you can, but I really like Montgomery at this point.
1: No, I absolutely agree with that call. And while I was I was actually a a fan of Khalil Herbert, I was hoping to see a bit more of him. At the very least, I thought he had earned a a, a one B ish like type role. I agree. But to, see, but to see them go ahead and throw Montgomery out there, especially the week before their bye week, I mean, the, which I thought was kind of odd because we saw Bruce Arians do essentially the same thing with Rob Gronkowski, and we haven't seen him since. Now, obviously different injury, different position that he plays. But it just seemed kind of odd that they were able to, that they wanted to just go ahead and throw Monty out there, have him have his usual workload. Because if he had gotten re-injured during that game, I mean, what would we be thinking about Matt Neck? I guess we couldn't, our opinion of Neck could get much worse. <laughs> but still, I mean, it's just, I thought it was odd, but no, good on, uh, good on them, good on him for being able to make it through the game, you no know, setbacks, seeing him back in that workhorse role. So I absolutely agree with the call and I like his schedule moving forward as well. So yeah, 100% agree with it.
0: All right. Who's your second one for a trade target?
1: Uh, So I'll keep it with the wide receiver position. And I'm looking at Devonta Smith as of right now. I mean, after watching him this past week, I mean, on his birthday, the man goes up. He he, uh, what he soars over like Patrick Sertan, like for I think it was either first or second touchdown. But still, I mean, he's really coming along in the Philadelphia Eagles offense, like with Jalen Hurts. And I, I mean, he should I'm hoping at the very least. We should not hear any more discussion about BMI and how it relates to the wide receiver position ever again after watching what he's done, not just this past week, but throughout this season. I mean, I've been a proponent of uh, Matt Harmon's reception perception for years and looking at Uh, what Matt Harmon had said about him, his notes on Devonta Smith, what 90th percentile success rate against man coverage, 89th percentile against press coverage. And we start to see that bear out as Jalen Hurts has had, let's say a, a decent, or let's say he's been okay like as at the very least as a passer like this season where I'm hoping that the Eagles continue to build around him. But despite the fact that the Eagles passing offense, they've been well under like a pass rate over expectation over the past month. I mean, we're talking minus 16, minus 19% under like, minus 69 is 19% pass rate over expectation the past month or so but still, I mean, Devonta Smith at a 24.3% target share. I mean, he is essentially the sole owner of the air yards in that particular offense, 40.1% air yard share with their current schedule moving forward. I mean, they've got new Orleans this week, but they've got the giants jets Two matchups against Washington, I mean, especially now with them losing Chase Young, their secondary being, I mean, fairly porous. I mean, we've seen that over the uh, over the season so far. I mean, I, I think that over the next, like, few weeks, and especially throughout the playoffs, even Devonta Smith is going to be one of the guys you'd want to watch or want to roster.
0: And I'm just seeing, I had an alert pop up here that uh, Lamar Jackson was sent home with an illness today. He's not going to practice. This is Wednesday that we're recording. They're saying it's not COVID-related, so... Just put that out there. A little, a little bit of breaking news shouldn't change too much, but at least something worth noting there. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on Devonta Smith. I mean, I wonder, I've talked about it with like Pat Friermuth, if you didn't have a guy like Kyle Pitts there taking the spotlight away throughout the draft process, and then obviously during the season as well, putting up really great stats as a rookie, whether Fryermuth would have gotten you know more hype from the fantasy community. And it's kind of the same when you look at Ivonta Smith. I mean, Jamar Chase just stealing the headlines, like coming in and essentially being a top five, top 10 fantasy receiver right away takes a lot of the the hype away from somebody like Smith, who is still playing pretty well. And yeah, I think is going to have a really good second half of the season. I'll mention a tight end here, Dawson Knox. And it's kind of like the Montgomery approach for me. You have a player who was out a while due to injury, comes back, has a, an average or below average stat line. So the manager who has him might be a little disappointed. Knox had just one catch, 17 yards last week. But there's a few things you got to remember. One, it was a blowout against the Jets. So Buffalo didn't need to push it there. They didn't need to keep throwing a ton. So that's one thing. And then he almost caught a touchdown. There was one flip pass that Allen made where they almost connected. They almost had the score there. You have Cole Beasley banged up. That could lead to more targets for Knox you know we're talking about a tight end who in the first 5 weeks of the season he was the tight end 3 behind only Kelsey and Mark Andrews so i think there's a lot to like about Knox and i think you could get him really cheap right now you got to go out and get him before he has that you know one touchdown two touchdown game i don't know if the yardage is going to be there often i don't think he's going to have a lot of you know 70 80 90 100 yard contests but in this offense he was used a ton early in the season. He's a guy that has, you know, clearly has Josh Allen's eye around the red zone. I would not be surprised if he gets back into the top five mix the rest of the way.
1: It wouldn't surprise me either. And when we've been talking about or when uh, the fantasy community has been looking at guys like Tyler Conklin. I mean, Dan Arnold has now become a top end tight end. Adam Troutman is now starting to show a bit more in New Orleans. I mean, the the cycle of let's say usable tight ends seems to shift week in and week out. And when you, at the very least, can talk yourself into a guy like Knox, who's a part of an offense that one has one of the best quarterbacks in the league, whether it's from a real life or fantasy standpoint, on a team that's also like fairly heavy in terms of pass rate over expectation. I mean, all the opportunity and quality of targets is there for Knox, and especially since he's using the end zone, really for tight ends, we just hope that they can fall down with a football in their hands, like in the paint anyway. <laughs> So yeah, I'm 100 with you on on Dosnach. I think that's an excellent call. All
0: right, bring it home. Give us one more trade target that you're looking at this week.
1: All right, folks will probably turn off the pod after this Uh-oh. one. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, but but if you if you can, let's see. Let I, I let me see if I can sell you on trading for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. All right. Okay. I'm listening. A- after watching Daryl Williams do his best like Randy Moss impression like this past weekend. At the very least, I think I don't think that Clyde Bertolaire is going to get back to his workload that he had even before the injury, nor do I think he should. Darrell Williams has played very well. I mean, efficient as a rusher and also efficient as a pass catcher as well. But like I, like we had talked about earlier, where looking back on the past like month or so for the Chiefs offense, Concentrating all of their targets on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey has been part of their issue. We can get into the does Patrick Mahomes like struggle against like, you know, zone coverage and all this other stuff. I'm not really here to argue about that. But we do, I think everybody can agree that they could not continue to funnel all of their targets to Hill and Kelsey. And they also needed reliable pass catchers outside of those two. I mean, are we really banking on Demarcus Robinson or Byron Pringle or even Josh Gordon? To continue to i guess help patrick mahomes matriculate the ball down the field so looking at what has happened with the chiefs offense over the past month uh, past month since they were considered broken after their uh, bout against tennessee the amount of targets that have been funneled to the running back position has steadily increased since that point at the beginning of the season running backs in the chiefs offense averaged just under an eight percent target share like overall Over the past three weeks, that's actually up to 21.4%. Darrell Williams has been the primary recipient of all that, but we've also seen Jerick McKinnon continue to get mixed in as a pass catcher as well. So for most folks that have running backs sitting on their bench, who would you rather have? A guy that could possibly, at the very least, be the number two running back who is also now should at least be involved in the passing game because that is what the Kansas City Chiefs has been predicated on over the past few weeks, or do you want to continue to hold on to Samaji P Ryan Chris Evans, Damien Williams, maybe Khalil Herbert? I mean, those are the guys. I mean, that's those are the guys that most folks are hanging on to at this point. So if it's possible for you to buy low on Clyde Gilbert and see what happens, see what that workload is going to look like now that he's expected to be back this week, I would say that he's a fairly decent candidate for a buy low option. Stash him, see what that workload looks like, and then take it from there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting and it's it's kind of been a bit of a theme with some of these guys, the the players who've been out with injury and then they come back, and then you know, how willing is that manager to trade them? you have to think by this point they've found someone else to play in their lineup, that they're not just waiting on that guy to come back, whether it is with Montgomery, whether it is with the Dawson Knox or a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I wonder whether it's almost, you know, smarter to think, you know, if the trade deadline isn't this week, if you're looking at a week twelve or week thirteen trade deadline, to wait that extra week, see if he comes out, if they sort of have a split this week, and all of a sudden his manager's now like, oh God, why did I even hold on to him this long? He's just in a timeshare. What am I doing here? And then maybe you can go out and get him even cheaper. That's kind of what we're talking about with Montgomery or with I like Knox. It, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's something to to consider. I know people always think when you're holding on to that injured player, that the time when they're actually going to come back, well, no one's going to trade them away because they've waited so long to have them on their lineup and now they're going to be back. But sometimes that is a good time to strike because they've already found somebody else and and they're willing to deal them away at that point. And that's helped me get, you know, Montgomery and a couple teams in the last couple weeks here. So uh, I think that's a good call with CH as well. All right. We're almost in the home stretch here. I gotta ask you this one because we pose this question near the end of every show which players are being overlooked this week. And you can come at it from a variety of angles. Bottom line is we're just trying to shine the spotlight here on a player or two who might not be getting the respect that they deserve in week 11. Who do you got? So I'm thinking
1: Kadarius Toney is probably one of those guys that might get overlooked uh, especially this week. I know that Tampa Bay, like uh, the Giants are facing against Tampa Bay, who, I mean, especially with Vita Vea, I mean, battling injury, their secondary continues to battle battle injuries as well. I mean, it should be a fairly decent matchup for, for the Giants passing offense. Saquon Barkley is still is, is practicing again as well. So he's also expected to be back. But out of all of those pass catchers, I mean, whether it's, I mean, I don't even know if we can expect to see Kenny Galladay at any point, but whether it's Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, I mean, it's been Kadarius Toney that has been the more efficient, uh, the efficient pass catcher in that offense. Uh, he has a 3.86 yards per route run according to pro football focus. Those are in the games that he's been both active and hasn't wound up leaving early due to injury. He's also, I mean, the most, he has the most like diverse route tree, like while he has been played on the perimeter also operates in the slot. He's run those like short flat routes, drag routes, also worked in the intermediate and deep because he has that speed. He has that athleticism. And for a guy like Daniel Jones, while he has been able to uncork a fairly beautiful deep ball to Darius Slayton or even like John Ross, like, what was that like back in week three, week four or something like that? I mean, Kadarius Toney is the one that actually should fit what Daniel Jones should do as a passer because we don't want him out there, you know, scrambling in the pocket, moving around or whatever. He needs to be more of a see it, throw it type of quarterback. And Tony with as quick as he can be with as much as he can create on his own. I mean, I think he has like, I think in terms of yards after catch, I mean, he leads the giants in terms of yards after catch, which probably isn't saying much, but still, I mean, that's it's the type of guy that fits what the giants need on offense as of right now. And with them being what I think they're, bottom of the bottom in the nfc or at least the bottom in the nfc east as of right now but we don't know what that division is going to continue to look like with whatever the eagles and like the washington is doing dallas is the cream of the crop but i think there's still a chance they can sneak in there at the very least be number two so tony i think is one of the guys that might go overlooked this week especially since they're coming off their bye
0: yeah. And he could fit into this category. He could even fit into the trade category that we mm-hmm. talked about, right? Like he's another guy that hasn't really done much since having the the real breakout games. And then you look at him and you go, what's his manager actually feeling about him right now? Are they going to want to keep him on the roster? Are they willing to move him as either straight up or as part of a, a package deal? He's definitely somebody you could consider. For me, a lot of the overlooked guys this week, I was looking at my rankings A lot of them are guys that I talked about either on Monday's show or in my waiver wire column. So Justin Fields and Robbie Anderson and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Marcus Johnson. I think they're all set up really nicely this week, but you can listen and you can read about those guys in my content from Monday. I think you could also look at the Saints receiving core. If you're looking for that flex play, that dart throw, Traquan Smith, Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris— They've all been involved. I know Smith's been producing the best out of the group lately. He's got 50 yards or a touchdown in each of his last three games, but they're all kind of flex-worthy to varying degrees. So I would keep those guys in mind this week as well. And that brings us to our rapid-fire section. It's the final sprint here, Chris. I'm going to toss out some questions. We're only accepting quick answers, so you can give a sentence or two of context if you need to. And I mean, let's face it. I know with us, it is hard to just give a quick one word answer. So you're probably going to want to give a little bit after, but we'll try to keep these pretty quick here. Are you ready?
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: All right. We're going to go with a bit of a running back theme here. So let's do it. Is AJ Dillon a fantasy RB1 with Aaron Jones out? Absolutely. We got, we've
1: seen him used in the passing game prior to Aaron Jones exit, looking at their schedule, like moving forward. They got what Minnesota this week. I mean, they got the Rams, Chicago, Baltimore, Cleveland. I mean, all teams that can be either run or passed on without too many other options in the Green Bay passing offense outside of Devontae Adams. Yeah, AJ Dillon all the
0: way. If Saquon Barkley is back, and it seems like he's probably going to be back this week, is he a fantasy RB1 in what is technically a tougher matchup against the Bucs?
1: Assuming health, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we saw what his target share was within that offense, and what we were just talking about. Who are the other reliable pass catchers in that offense, or the types of pass catchers that Daniel Jones should really glom onto? I mean, it's really not going to be Darius Slayton. I mean, Evan Ingram, maybe Sterling Shepherd. Assuming health, assuming he's back, maybe. But it's really Saquon Barkley who can create on his own. Kadarius Tony, who can also create on his own. So yeah. RB1 status should be for, it should be in the cards like for Saquon when he returns.
0: If Alvin Kamara remains sidelined, is Mark
1: Ingram a must start? A must start? I don't know about all that. i mean, looking at their upcoming matchups. They got Philly this week, Buffalo the week after that, Dallas the week after that. I'm not entirely certain about a must start, but it really does come down to what are the other options. So if you can find other players that might see similar workload, but have more advantageous matchups, i probably go that route.
0: Yeah. Kind of like that low end RB two. There's a lot of guys in that yeah. range week after week. Yeah. So it just does come down to who you have. If Damien Harris doesn't get cleared and right now seems like he's on track. I know he was back to a limited practice yesterday on Tuesday. So we'll see what he can do on Wednesday if he can get cleared, but let's say he doesn't get cleared. Where would you rank Ramondre Stevenson?
1: Has to be in the mid range, like RB two-ish workload area, actually even higher because of what they're going up against Atlanta on Thursday. I can't remember the last time any sort of New England running back wound up getting 60, 69% of the team's running back carries, but also uh, holding on to a 21.7% target share. I mean, that's what he had against Cleveland, which yeah. is wild to think because that type of workload has been split between guys like James White, Rex Burkhead, insert, like uh, LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, those, those have been typically split. So while Bellatrix has definitely been a thing historically – if we wind up seeing another game where Stevenson can wind up being like the man in that backfield, yeah, he has to be at the very least a high-end RB2 for, for anybody.
0: Yeah, just be prepared. Whenever hearts broken. Harris is going to get—not that we don't want to see Harris get cleared. Obviously, we want to see him healthy and everything, but we're going to see him get cleared. It's going to go back to a committee. It's going to be unfortunate for fantasy. But mm-hmm. if Cordell Patterson is out—and I know they're trying. He practiced in a limited fashion. They're trying to say he's a game-time decision— I would guess that he is not going to be able to play with that ankle injury this week, but we'll see. If he is out, where are you ranking Wing, Gallman, and Mike Davis? Because I know there was also a Jared Smola of uh, Draft Sharks said that he put out a, a quote, actually, I, I believe it was from Arthur Smith, saying that uh, the only reason that Gallman got as much work as he did last week was because they knew they were going to have the short week. And that's why Josh Rosen played a little quarterback more than you think. And that's why Gallman got as many touches. So that kind of changes the dynamic here a little bit. But if CPAT's out, where are you ranking guys like Gallman and Davis?
1: Uh, so I would put Gallman ahead or slightly ahead of Davis. But I, both of them would be like mid to low end, like RB2s for me. Because, I mean, Dearness Johnson, like even like playing in that game, he played well. I mean, he was successful as a, as a rusher. I, I also useful in the passing game as well, like for Cleveland. So while he didn't wind up finding the paint, I think he had like well over a hundred scrimmage yards like last week. So it's entirely possible, like if Wayne Gallman winds up suiting up, getting uh, getting sprinkled in uh, either behind or in front of Mike Davis, I think either could have at least productive enough days to be like decent RB2s. But again, kind of goes back to the uh, our previous discussion about like who else you might have on your team if you can see a, another running back like on your squad getting similar opportunity. I wouldn't probably start him since it's on the short week. I would hate to have, I would hate to like stare at what, six, seven points on my roster, like going into the weekend, yeah. but if you, everybody, if you're stuck with it, I get it.
0: A lot of, uh, a lot of what ifs in this section, but another, if, if Elijah Mitchell is out and for anybody who doesn't know, he had finger surgery this week, uh, there's kind of sounding optimistic that he'll be able to get out there and practice, but finger surgery during the week, a skill position player, uh, kind of a hard time thinking that he's going to be able to play this week, but we don't really know yet. We're gonna have to watch his practice participation. If he is out where you're ranking Jeff Wilson.
1: He has to be like towards, uh, towards the, like mid to high end range in terms of, uh, in terms of running backs, we saw him getting worked in like, w- like well into the game, like against the Rams this past week. And now with their, uh, their other uh, matchup against Jacksonville this week, what they're 22nd in terms of fantasy points allowed to running backs that's in half PPR. I mean, but still, I mean, if we're seeing the amount of rushing opportunities that we just saw the Rams, like try and put up against LA. If they have a similar game script, people wind up having a positive game script against Jacksonville, which we are assuming that they will, especially with Jacksonville taking just a massive step back uh, from an offensive perspective. Yeah, I can see like Jeff Wilson being like one of those guys that you wind up starting... He winds up with like 60, 70 yards at the very least chance at getting into the paint as well. Yeah, I, I would I would start him without too much, with like a decent amount of confidence.
0: All right, last one here. We mentioned earlier that you're working with Sigmund Bloom and Gene Brammel and Matt Waldman and that crew over at Football Guys and everybody over there is great. I love Football Guys, just super smart, super informative group. We've had Sigmund the show before, one of my favorite people in the industry by far. What is something that people would be surprised to know about Sig and Gene and and Matt and the whole crew over at Football Guys?
1: Uh, I would say that uh, for for each of them, let's say for Gene, the thing that surprised him the most, he's really funny. <laughs> uh, it, like it, because you when you bring him on like he winds up he he has like the the seri- the most serious role i mean not to say that like you know any one of us like discussing fantasy on a any, on a daily basis is isn't serious but when you bring him on for his injury expertise and all that like he winds up carrying like the most weight like regarding you know what his thought process is when talking about these players but the jokes, like his commentary, like any time that we wind up getting him for uh, like starting to talk when he has his mic on mute. It's just like he he actually is like a fairly comical guy. And actually uh, he lives like he's about like maybe 30, 45 minutes away from you. He's just like a couple counties over uh, in like the northern part of Ohio. So I might get the chance to hang out with him here soon. But nice. now like he he's he's a funny guy, uh, despite the, you know, just the. I don't know, the seriousness that comes with uh, being Dr. Gene. But now like with Sig and Matt, like, I don't know if there really are any surprises because and I think that's actually part of uh, maybe it's one of the surprises because I know like some folks say like, you know, you're not supposed to like don't meet your heroes, but like those guys are the exact same whether you meet them on whether you talk to them on camera or like, you know, live or off the air. I mean their interests, their passions. I mean their are willing their willingness to to meet with people and talk with them. I mean that was a that was a wonderful surprise, at least for, for me, because I you sometimes you do wonder if some folks are different. Like once the cameras are off and you know, the mics aren't you know recording everything. But actually, I've had the pleasure of being able to hang out with with Sigmund in real life. Been down in New Orleans a couple of times with my wife. We spent spent the day with him and, and his and his son. And with Waldman, like listening to his passions about like listening to jazz music, he's learning, he's trying to teach himself the bass guitar right now. So we've listened to kind of, you know, play bass guitar. I know he does that every now and again on the show as well. So it's just like seeing and hearing it like and just being able to talk with those guys behind the scenes and really getting really diving in and seeing how passionate they are about football, despite I mean, regardless of how long they've been studying it and listening to it, it really just really it invigorates me to like try and dive in a bit more, even though I'm still just more of a part timer and I'm along for the ride. I'm just a sidekick like with them, but it's it's such a joy getting to work with them every week.
0: Well, I'll say I uh, had Sigmund on a couple times and even the first time that he came on, I felt like we could have talked for hours. I had to try to limit the conversation to oh, we you know, did, under, yeah. <laughs> under an hour or so. And I feel the same with you. I mean, there's a few people that come on the show where the conversation is so natural. We were joking before we started recording that we were talking for 10, 15 minutes. It felt like we could have gone way longer and we hadn't even started the show yet. So that's probably <laughs> a, a great spot to end it here. That is all for today's show. Make sure you're checking out Chris's content over at Football Guys. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. You can see all his stuff across all the sites that he contributes to. Always awesome having you on, man. I appreciate you dropping the knowledge on the weather stuff. I appreciate the trade suggestions, all that. Good luck the rest of the season, buddy. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Anytime
1: you need me on, just give me a call, man. Uh, Thanks again.
0: As for us over at The Score, uh, we recorded the show a bit early today. So my trade value charts are going to go up a little later on Wednesday. I can't wait to check my mentions. I'm sure people are going to be pretty upset about that because everybody always hits me up for that, but uh, they'll be up later today. And then I'll have my updated week 10 rankings out on Thursday. I'll be back with the live show on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. But until then... Big thanks again to Chris. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time.
1: Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. I said leave on time.